Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, praise team. Wonderful songs, wonderful worship, and drawing us to the place where we can hear God speak in His Word. He's the incarnate Word, and so we want to hear from Him today. It's, I'm glad to have you here if you are visiting today. We're glad that you're here with us. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. I'm going to be continuing a series we started in the book of Mark, and the title of the series is Join the Journey. Join the journey, the invitation by Jesus to join him in the journey of his life, and we live it out in our life today. So as you're finding your place in your Bible, I've entitled the message today, Something Happened to Me. Something Happened to Me. Mark chapter 1. I do want to mention a couple things. One, I did have COVID last Sunday. I apologize for not being here, but I got sick somewhere right before the weekend. I tested negative on Wednesday, and so I still feel a little of the drainage going down my throat, and so it really, uh, I can tell, I got to be careful I don't get to preaching too much, just kind of lay back a little, because I wore myself out from the last service, and I'll probably do it in this one when I get excited, but uh, anyways, if you prayed for me, I really do appreciate that, and also, we took an offering last week for the Gideons, we raised over $2,500 for the Gideons to put out in Bibles, and I just want to thank each of you who gave uh, to help them in that ministry. Many of you uh, purchased even cases of Bibles, and so we're so grateful for that and grateful for what you did there to help out with the Gideon ministry. All right, with that, let's stand together, and we're going to read God's Word. I'll read it. You follow along as I read. Mark chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 14. I'm going to go through verse 20. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. You may be seated. This, to me, is one of the most remarkable passages of Scripture because who would do this? Who would actually hear somebody walk by them that they don't even know? They didn't know Jesus at this point, and they would literally say, Jesus could just say, follow me, and they would quit their job, they'd leave their family, and they'd go after him. You really have to think that through because you're so used to hearing these messages from Scripture, but what would it be like for you to walk away from your job right now, walk away from your family, and, and follow some person? I mean, just to think about the depth of this, and that's where my heart's been going for the last week or two in really meditating on this and what I believe the Lord wants me to share with you today. Now, rather than really introducing into this message, I'm going to jump right into my outline so I can get right at it. There are three decisive moments to learn the art of life. I want to give you the three decisive moments in the scriptures here as we come to this passage, all right? The first decisive moment, the decisive moment of the Son of God, the decisive moment of the Son of God. It says in verse 14 that John was thrown into prison or taken into custody. He was put into prison. He's going to be beheaded and lose his life. Why does that happen? Jesus does not start his ministry until John gets to the lowest point. So, John said, 
if I'm going to be the forerunner of Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. And so there's the path of the disciple. Starts out being a rock star, if you will, and he goes down to prison and is beheaded. Okay? He decreases. Once he's in prison, Jesus increases, and now he's going to have the full-fledged ministry out in front. That's why that little uh, paragraph or, or uh, dependent clause is there. So Jesus comes into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now here Jesus is being called, he's being commissioned, and he has already been tested. So he's called, commissioned, and tested. Now he's going to begin his ministry. And the very first thing he's going to proclaim to people is this statement that it's time that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now what does that mean? Just to simply explain it to you so you understand it. It means that God the Father, the king of the universe, has sent his son to fallen man and offered redemption to anyone who will receive him. And claim him as Savior. That's the kingdom of God. That's the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ in a nutshell. And so he offers that to, through his son. Now what Jesus says, this is the way Jesus says it. It's in the red letter, if you have a red letter Bible. It says, the time is fulfilled. Now that's, that's quite an amazing statement in the scriptures. And I want to take a minute to explain that to you. Because you just read that and say, okay, the time's fulfilled. But... First of all, the word time. And this is important to understand because a lot of skeptics will attack this about Jesus. But the first thing is Jesus is being tied to real history. Real history. There really was a Jesus who walked this earth, really did the things he said he did, and demonstrated. So the writer wants you to see a real time, a real space. It's not a myth. It's not something created out of the air. You saw this man, we have record of this man walking the earth. We call that in our language salvation history. We don't just call it salvation, we call it salvation history because it was Christ in time. Christ in time, a real historical event. Now there's two words for time in Greek. There's the word chronos and there's the word kairos. All right, I want to explain this to you and teach you just a little bit here so you can really understand what the scriptures are trying to say. Chronos and Kairos. Chronos is chronological time. It's the moment-by-moment passing of time in an ordinary way. So day one to day two to day three, and you have over history the passing of time. That would be Chronos, all the historical events of time. But the word here is not the word Chronos. The word here is Kairos, Kairos. Now, I'm just telling you that because that means a particular moment in time, a decisive moment. Matter of fact, it's so important that it defines everything else in history that comes after it. That's the word kairos. So Jesus is saying the kairos is here. The definitive, decisive moment in time where I'm coming and breaking into history, breaking into time. Now, the best English words we have to describe these two events, they're difficult to go one-to-one in Greek, but the best words we have are historical and historic. Historical means that it's an event in history. There's historical events that happen. Historic means, though, that it's a key event that changed history. Okay? Kronos, just historical events. Kairos, events that change history, is kairos. It changed history. 
For example, think about U.S. history. You, you clearly would have to say in the development of our country, the Boston Tea Party was key to changing our history. The signing of the Declaration of Independence was key. The Civil War with Abraham Lincoln was key to the development of our history. The bombing of Pearl Harbor pulled us into the World War, which then changed all of history, but specifically U.S. history. And then even now with the World Trade Centers going down and opening our eyes to what terrorism is all about, that the attacks are not just frontal attacks, but now through internet and through uh, means of electromagnetism and things like that, we have a whole new war that we're fighting. All right? So these clearly are what we would call Kairos moments for U.S. history because they change the course of U.S. history. Now, the reason I explained that to you, I'd love to tell you some stories I was thinking about, but I'm just, I did one in the preview, but these are Kairos moments, moments that shake history, okay? So the birth of Jesus is a Kairos moment, and there's no denying that even if you're a skeptic about Jesus Christ. It changed history because all of history is defined by that moment now. You've got B.C. and you've got A.D., before Christ and Anand Domini, the year of our Lord. He has changed the way we've defined history in B.C. and A.D. That's important to note, okay? So Christ's birth is the dividing link of history. So when he says the time is fulfilled, he really meant it. He changed history. He changed the course of history. Yet people want to say it's a myth. It's a myth. Okay? Jesus' death on a cross was a Kairos moment. Jesus' resurrection was a Kairos moment. The time is, for, is fulfilled, Jesus is saying. He says, I'm coming to change history forever. That's what he's saying. I'm coming to change it. He says, the time is fulfilled. Do you see the word fulfilled there? It's the word in our language means, we don't really have a word for it, but it's super fullness. Super fullness. Something to be filled to the brim and spilling over. When you fill a glass, you usually don't fill it to the brim or make sure it spills over. You leave just enough there so that the person can maneuver the glass or maybe even carry around the glass. But that's not the word here in the Greek. The word here is that it is spilling over, bursting at the seams, and there's nothing, there's no margin at all. So now let's put this into the understanding of the scripture here. The historic moment in time and superfulness have come together in time and history. There's no other event like this in the world. Time and history is now super full, and Jesus says, it's super full, and here I am. The gospel, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, God has prepared everything in history for this moment, to look forward to it and to look back at it. It becomes the super full historic moment of the world. And Jesus says, here it is. It's at hand. In other words, you can touch me. You can reach out and touch me. We've been waiting for this a thousand years, in essence is what the idea is, all the way back to Adam. And Jesus said, here I am. It's the Kairos moment of all history. Now, that's important. When he comes and he does that and he says that, he says now, what I want you to do is repent and believe. So he takes a Kairos moment, a, a moment that's historic in time, 
and now he makes it a crisis moment. Takes an historic moment, and he makes it a crisis moment. It comes down to this, this crisis moment. Those who receive him receive eternal life. Those who do not receive him come into judgment forever. That's, that's the Kairos moment turned crisis. Now the crisis is, and Jesus said, when I break history and change everything, your crisis is right now. That's what he's saying. You can't walk away and be indifferent and say, well, I just won't decide. I just won't decide. No. Jesus said in not deciding, you have to decide. You made your decision by not deciding. You either receive the gospel, and it's the greatest moment in your lifetime, or you reject the gospel, and it's the greatest judgment in your lifetime. That's it. Those are the two options. So Jesus says, get ready for it. Believe or repent and believe the gospel. Now, why am I taking the time to describe this to you? Because I want you to understand this is Jesus' ultimate central message that he wants every preacher, every person who represents him to know that this is how he did it. He said, I said two things to get to heaven. Repent and believe. Those are the only two things that he makes a serious call to. He didn't just say, say a little prayer and believe the gospel and you'll be okay. No, no. No, he said, repent and believe. And that's why I don't just tell you to believe in Jesus. You have to repent and believe in Jesus. And that's, that's very important as I get into this message today, and so that's why I'm setting the groundwork for this. Because it's important, because if you just believe, it's cheap grace. And if there's one problem with uh, the type of evangelism that's going on today is just believe. Just believe. And I, I can't tell you, that, that, lacks, that lacks a serious call to repentance. A serious call to repentance. Because what God is saying is, you cannot enter the kingdom of God without repentance. You've got to repent and believe. Now, I'm not going to get into a big long uh, uh, description of repentance here, except what comes to my mind is Thomas Watson's book on repentance. He was a Puritan from the 1620s. And I don't know why this sticks with me. It's always stuck with me. He said there's six ingredients for repentance. He said the sight of sin, the sorrow of sin, the shame of sin, the confession of sin, the hatred of sin, and the turning from sin. You got those six things, you got repentance. Does the sight of sin disgust you? The sight of sin. Are you sorrowful? Is there a shame you feel in your heart over it? Is there a confession where you bring that out before God and you confess it? Is there a hatred of that sin? And is there a turning away from it? That's repentance. I'm not going to go any deeper than that. I just want you to hear that because without fleeing your sin, you cannot put your trust in Christ alone, okay? We love to say put your trust in Christ, but we don't love to say repent of those six things I just said to you because they are unnerving to us because they get down to the core of our soul. But Jesus said, this is how I did evangelism, okay? So he announced the good news and said repent and believe. All right, that's the decisive moment of the Son of God. All right, let me go on. Number two, the decisive moment of the disciples of Jesus. The decisive moment of the disciples of Jesus. 
It says in verse 16, as he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net, for they were fishermen. He said to him, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Goes a little further, sees James and John, they're mending their nets. In verse 20 he says, immediately he called them, James, follow me. John, follow me. Andrew, Peter, follow me. Now, I've been to the Sea of Galilee a couple, three times. And at this time in the first century, they had a huge industry of fishermen, all right? Uh, some of the facts that I found out there is that this sea had more variety of fish than any other sea in the Middle East. So the fish they were catching in the Sea of Galilee in the first century, they were shipping and crating to other countries, which tells me these weren't some little fly-by-night guys going on a vacation fishing, okay? This is lucrative businessmen. Lucrative businessmen that are giving their life to making this kind of money, this kind of investment, and they are into it. Now, when I was at the Sea of Galilee, you, you usually go to the city of Capernaum that used to be right on the Sea of Galilee, but what happened over time is the seas receded, and now it's about a mile away from the Sea of Galilee. But you usually go there, and with the locals, uh, you eat St. Peter's fish. That's what you get for lunch, St. Peter's fish. And when they serve their fish in their country, they serve it with the whole fish. The head's there, the eyeball's there. So when they put it down on your plate, you just see one eyeball because the other eyeball's on the other side of the fish. But when, you, when they lay it down on your plate, there you are. You're staring at it, it's staring at you. All right? It's a, it's, and and to, be, to be in their custom or to, to not be the ugly American when you go there, the custom is to eat the eyeball. All right? I broke that custom, just so you know. I broke it. I wasn't going to eat that eyeball. That thing just kept looking at me, and I don't want anything looking at me while I'm tasting it, okay, going down, you know, just, but, but anyways, I, I, I remember yeah, the fish was great, but it just bothered me to stare at an eyeball while I'm eating him, okay, but, but, but I say that to you because I want you to understand that this is very, very popular, that this has held the test of time to call it St. Peter's fish. It's because of this passage. Now, Jesus walks along the seashore. He sees Simon. He sees his brother, Andrew, and they're throwing out nets. These nets are about 15 feet in diameter, and on the end of them, they have these weights, and they would fall to the bottom of the sea, and then they had a rope in the center of the net, and they would pull that center rope up. It would pull all the weights in, and it would trap the fish, and then they would pull it up into their boats, and that's how they caught fish back then. And so... As they're trapping the fish, Jesus calls to him and he says, Andrew, Simon, follow me. Now, why would anybody in their right mind do that? This is what I want you to understand before you walk out of here today. The word literally means in the Greek, get behind me. Get behind me. Follow me. And the Bible says they immediately leave and follow him. He does the same thing with James and John. They're cleaning their nets. 
And in their case, the emphasis here isn't so much on what they're doing fishing as much as it is on the fact that he leave, they leave their dad and the whole fishing trade behind them and they walk out on, they just leave their family. Oh yeah, and don't forget to tell mom I'm leaving. Doesn't even go home to say, to say goodbye to mom, just leaves. I mean, it's just an amazing passage of Scripture Okay, and Jesus says, follow me. From the word follow comes the word disciple. Okay, it comes off of that word. A disciple is a learner. It's a person who puts himself under discipline of a tutor or a rabbi. This helps us better understand the passage. Now, here's what's going on. Jesus is a rabbi. He's going out looking for students to follow him. He's looking for disciples, okay? And because he is enrolling disciples into his rabbinic school, and what's so unique about this is he goes out to look for them, and he calls them. Now, I want you to remember that. He calls them. Andrew, follow me. John, follow me. He just calls them. That's so unique for a rabbi to do because no rabbi would get their followers that way. The history of rabbis, even to today, is that you never went out and recruited students like Jesus did. Now, remember that, okay? He's a completely different kind of rabbi, all right? And so, Jesus doesn't do it like the rabbis do it. They, 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 a rabbi in those days would have waited for students to come and apply to their school and then take an exam, and if they passed the exam, they could get in their school as a follower or a disciple of that rabbi. That's how they did it, very much like a person gets into college or to a master's program. They've got to pass some things, and they've got to demonstrate they're worthy of following you, not Jesus. Jesus is different. He handpicks his students. He goes out there, and he says, I want you, and I want you, and I want you, and I want you. He just handpicks them. Follow me. He calls them by name. Okay, so to this point in this message, they at that point acknowledge Jesus' authority. They say, I'm going to go after you. I'm going to leave everything. I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to leave my profession. I mean, this is my future. This is everything I count on. This is where I tried to get in my life, and I'm going to leave it. They acknowledge Jesus' authority. Number two, without reservation or delay, they're willing to leave their profession and family by the way, you may not have to leave your profession or family, but I promise you this, if you have decided or will decide to follow Jesus, you'll leave something. You'll leave something. And number three, they were involved in the task of calling others to repent and believe the gospel. Okay, that's the three things that are clear from that text. From that day forward, they followed him and served Jesus. All right, now what does that have to do with us, okay? Here we are, we're gathered here to hear God speak and His Spirit to come over us now and use the teaching of the Word to now uh, invade your spirit. That brings me to point three, the decisive moment of your life. The decisive moment of your life. I never could quite figure out why the disciples would do that. They had a job, they had a profession, they were set for life, and they walked away, and the only thing they knew about him was he was a rabbi. 
He called them and they came. I mean, who does that? It's remarkably strange. Brett Yates, will you do me a favor? Will you come here a minute? Would you stand right in front of that bench and keep looking at me? Okay? Now, why did he come? I called him. Why didn't anybody else come? I didn't call you. I called who I wanted, and I wanted him. He heard my call, he responded to my call, and he came. Let me go a little deeper with that. Matter of fact, I foreknew I would call him. Did you know I was going to call you? No, he didn't. All he knew he was going to have to come up here and stand in front of these people for a minute and be embarrassed, all right? That's all he knew. But I foreknew. I foreknew I was going to call on Brett. I had thought about it this week in the office. I had run it through my mind. I got it in my mind. I'm going to bring him right up in front of the altar bench and have him stand right there. I foreknew it. Not only did I foreknew it, I predestinated it. I set this whole service up today, the message and everything, to get Brett to this point where he would stand right in front so that you would see him come up here. He didn't know. He didn't know I was going to do it to him. He would stand right there in front of you and come to that exact spot that I had predestined to happen before this day ever came. I foreknew it. I predestinated it. I predetermined it. And it all happened just like I thought it would. Thank you very much, Brett. You may sit down. Yes, thank you. I know that... Now, why did I tell you that? Why did I put that all together for you? Because I want you to understand this, all right? That, that I can predestine something. I can predetermine something. I can foreknow something before the day ever comes. When God called you, it's an amazing thing. When God called you, something happened to you. Something happened to me. And I can't quite figure all that out. But I know it's true. I was happy. I was chilling. I was going along making money. Some of you were drunks. Some of you were addicts. Some of you were focused on building your business. Some of you were going on with your friends doing everything like it was your life. And then all of a sudden, he calls you. All of a sudden, he messes up everything. He just invades your life, and you can't figure out for a dime how you got involved in this thing. Because he called you. He messed up everything. Just like that. Now, let me go a little further with this. You don't call somebody you don't want. Think about that. You don't call somebody you don't want. You don't call somebody you don't have a plan for. You don't call somebody you don't have a purpose for. 
Before you ever think of the person, you already got a purpose. The purpose had to happen before the person you called. You don't pick up the phone and say, now, I don't know why in the world I called you. I mean, if you had any sense, you wouldn't do that. You'd have a purpose before you call the person. Now, stay with me, okay? So, you have to understand, I cannot for the life of me figure out with you folks in this room who you really are. I think I know who you are, but as I think about the Scriptures, I don't know who you really are. That God would only do one thing, He would call you. Now, He predetermined it, He predestined it, He foreknew you, He had a whole bunch of things He was doing way before this, but you didn't know any of them. You didn't know He was going to call you. It's an amazing thought to think about. He put so much work and so much labor into setting the stage for you in your life. And by the way, the details are in the preparation. The preparation he went to was far more than just the call. Consider this. I wrote down these things for your life, your life personally, okay? He considered your circumstances. He considered your age. He considered the era you would be born in. He considered your body language. He considered your gender. He considered your community. He considered what you would look like. He considered your walk, your intellect. None of it just happened. He predetermined it before the foundation of the world. What did he tell Jeremiah? Listen, that's to be said to you too. Before I formed you, I knew you. I ordained you, Jeremiah. I sanctified you. I could give you a real good definition on sanctification. You know what God was saying? I meant for you not to fit. I meant for life not to satisfy you. Because that's why some of you are here. I meant for you to stand out. I meant for you not to be satisfied with all that money you're making. I meant for those things to leave you empty because I was going to call you out of that. I was going to call you. It's an incredible thing to think about. That's why you couldn't have the love and peace that you wanted to find because God said all of this was just a setup. I was just showing you how empty you'd be if this is all you got. It's a setup. But God glorious, gloriously called you away from the fish. Let me just say it this way. He called you gloriously away from the stinking fish. He called you away from your lust, away from your lovers, away from the money, away from the drugs, away from the alcohol. He called you. Once you were into this, once you were into that, trying to find something that's missing, you couldn't figure it out until, until he called you. And when he called you, everything in your perspective should change. He called you. And this is amazing to me. You just dropped your nets and you followed him. I can't explain that. 
open for business one day. The next day, your sign on your door says, gone out of business. He calls you. That's what he does. Jimmy, come. Devin, come. Helen, Helen, come. That's all he did. And he called you into his glorious salvation. Now I got to thinking about our culture today, and so many people today are quick to define themselves in the process of searching. They say things like this, I don't know who I am. Who am I? I got to find myself. I got to be me. That's our culture. God's saying, how about letting me define you? I brought you into my family. You're one of mine. I want to fulfill your life. I want you to forget about all the experiences in your flesh. And I want you to forget those things which are behind. I want you to forget them. Do what, Lord? Repent and believe. Just repent and believe the glorious good news that you must be born again. See, the more I learn about who I am in Christ, the truth is, the more I'll forget who I was. Did you hear that? The more I learn who I am in Christ, the more I'll forget about who I was. It's the only way you'll do it. I'm shedding off who I was to capture who I am. That's the walk with Jesus. Now, here's the deal, okay? I want to go a little further with this. I want to, I want to make sure you get this, okay? He, he didn't just call you to salvation. He also called you to a purpose. So many people get saved. They show up at church, but they, they just can't seem to fulfill the purpose God has for them because they're not really quite sure what that is. But he called you to salvation, but he also called you to a purpose. What did he do? He looked at those disciples and he said, they're going to have to repent and believe, but ultimately he said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. There was their purpose. They were going to learn how to bring people into the kingdom of God. They were going to learn how to influence their community, influence their friends for Jesus Christ. They were going to learn how to do that. And so it is not just about salvation. It's about purpose. That's what the whole Christian life is about, salvation and purpose. Your purpose, my purpose. Let's call it my thing, my it. It just drives me. It just drives me. I, I do it and I get so much out of it. The truth is, I know I do it for free. That's how much I love my purpose, my thing, my it, if you will. If you get to that level of his call, it is mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. Because once you get your thing, it satisfies your spirit. It satisfies your spirit. You might make money from it, but money really isn't the goal. Money is the byproduct of your purpose. It's the byproduct of your purpose and why you're even here. You're called to it. Hey, let me go further with this, okay? You're called to be a preacher. You're called to be a teacher. You're called to be a support. You're called to be an encourager. You're called to be a designer. You're called to be a builder. You're called to be a mother. You're called to be a wife. It doesn't have to be the president of the United States. 
You don't have to be the POTUS or the SCOTUS or the Hocus Pocus. You don't have to be any of those, okay? It's none of those for your life. If you try to go after that without understanding who you are, you will mess up. What gives me fulfillment as a pastor is not how big it is, but if it's my purpose. And I'm connected to it. I'm connected to it. When I started out as a pastor, a senior pastor in 1990, they paid me $400 a week. The church had 55 people in it. It, had, it was 1990. It still had the orange shag carpet from the 60s. And I'd have one person coming to Sunday school as an adult. The rest were all kids. And it seems kind of miserable. But it wasn't. I was like the chief cook and bottle washer at that church. I had a plunger in my office because if the toilets overflowed during service or during the Sunday school, I still remember this, the older ladies would yell down the hallway, Preacher, the toilets overflowed. Well, I was the only one who had a plunger. I mean, I did everything. It sounds bad then, but it's really not bad as I look back now. It's not bad at all. I was connected to it. I loved it. I'm trying to get you to understand this is not a race to the biggest seat. So I'm going to mess up your life thinking that. It is not a race to the biggest seat. The seat doesn't have to be a big thing to be an important thing. And if you're trying to get something big, it's because you draw importance from people. But the art of life, the art of life is when you think what you do is important. That's it, that's the key. The art of life is when you think what you do is important. If all you think is, I'm a housewife, and I raise these kids, and you don't think it's important, then it'll never be important to you. But if you believe it's important, it's important. It's what you believe. It's you believing that this is the purpose of God for my life. And if you believe that, not your husband telling you, not your kids telling you, but if you believe that, it's important. But you got to believe that. By the way, I'm a byproduct of that process. And I know, you know how I know? Because my mom changed my life. She changed my whole life. When your job is important, it's important because you think it's important. But the problem is some of you forsake your calling and you go away from it because you don't think it's important. You try to find something big and something oppressive. It's because you want people to think you're important. And what a mistake to get everybody around you to think you're important. Because you think... People thinking you're important will help your self-esteem. It won't. That's why they call it self-esteem. 
Nobody can give that to you. And until you see your calling from God and you think highly of yourself and what you do is important, me thinking of highly of you, me thinking highly of you will never be enough. It'll never be enough. You'll keep reaching out and reaching out and reaching out. Tell me I'm important. Tell me I matter. Tell me it's worth it. You've got to believe what you are called to do is important. And here's what I want to say. I'm going to close it out here. Until you believe that, I found this to be true in my life, you won't do small things with excellence. And you know where I learned that? In my first church. When I had to unplunge toilets, it stunk. But that's what I had to learn. You've got to do small things with excellence. That's how I knew it was important to me. And if you'll do th- small things with excellence, you'll get big things. But if you won't do them with excellence, you'll never get big things. You'll never get big things. What does Jesus say? If you're faithful in a few things, I will make you a ruler over many things. It's, it's just a natural thing. And so I just want to say to you as I close this out, learn excellence on your level. Learn it on your level. Whatever you're living in, whatever your condition is, whatever your job is, do it with excellence. And believe in your heart it's important to you because it's important to God. You learn to live on the level of excellence and I promise you God will promote you one day. So he calls you. It's beautiful. Rob, come on. Jimmy, come on. Dylan, come on. Helen, come on. That's the Kairos moment of your life. Let's pray. Every head bowed, eye closed. I want to just speak to you just for a moment in this room. There's got to be repentance and faith. Repentance and believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. There's not been a time in your life where you have done that. And you would say now, the Spirit of God is speaking to me. I've, I sense those things in my repentance that I need to do. The sight of sin. The sorrow of sin. The shame I carry. I want to confess. I have a hatred for it. And I want to turn from it. There's never been that initial time where you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want to take a moment right now. Would you just lift up your hand and say, you know what, Pastor Rob, I need to be saved. I've never been saved. I've never received him. And I feel an overwhelming sense right now where God's speaking to me personally. Would you just lift up your hand right where you are? Okay, I see that one hand. I can't see real well. Yes, I see another. Is there another hand? very difficult for me to see right now, but if your hand went up right now, the Spirit of God's speaking to you. Say, God, I repent. I repent. I'm guilty. Just tell God that right now. I'm guilty. 
my sin deserves judgment. But I believe you. I believe your son died for my sins. I trust him alone. I don't trust my good works. I don't trust my efforts. I trust Jesus alone. Save me. Save me. Have you prayed that simple prayer? I don't want to cheapen grace because I want to make sure it's real to you. This is not just a time now. It's a walk. It's a walk. Come. Come, he says now. Follow me. Follow me. You'll mess up. You'll make some bad choices. You'll even maybe curse the Lord like Peter did. But he says, just keep following me. Just keep following. So the rest of you that have claimed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I could go through that all over again in those steps of repentance. But I want to talk to you about your purpose. I want you to see that as important. Because when you believe it's important, it's important. See God working out his purpose in your life. If you don't got your thing, you don't got your purpose, you don't got your it, you need to find it. You need to find it. Go after him. Follow him. Lord, I lift up each one here today as we celebrate your truth, your word. We give you all the honor and glory now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team is going to lead us in this closing song. If God's dealing with your heart, over something in a personal way that you'd like to bring to the altar. These altar benches, you're welcome to come. Let's sing together.